Section 31 of A Book of Myths. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista. A Book of Myths by Jane Lang. Section 31 Beowulf. He was of mankind in might the strongest longfellow's translation whether those who read it be scholars who would argue about the origin and date of the poem ingenious theorists who would fain use all the fragmentary tales and rhymes of the nursery as parts of a vast jigsaw puzzle of nature myths or merely simple folk who read a tale for a tale's sake every reader of the poem of beowulf must own that it is one of the finest stories ever written it is the most ancient heroic poem in the germanic language and was brought to britain by the winged hats who sailed across the grey north sea to conquer and to help to weld that great amalgam of peoples into what is now the british race but once it had arrived in england the legend was put into a dress that the british-born could more readily appreciate in all probability the scene of the story was a corner of that island of zealand upon which copenhagen now stands but he who wrote down the poem for his countrymen and who wrote it in the pure literary anglo-saxon of wessex painted the scenery from the places that he and his readers knew best and if you should walk along the breezy magnificent rugged yorkshire coast for twelve miles from whitby northward to the top of bowlby cliff you would find it quite easy to believe that it was there amongst the high sea-cliffs that beowulf and his hearth-sharers once lived and there on the highest nests of our eastern coast under a great barrow that beowulf was buried beowulfsby bowlby seems a quite easy transition but the people of our island race have undoubtedly a gift for seizing the imports of other lands and hallmarking them as their own and in all probability the beowulf of the heroic poem was one who lived and died in the land of scandinavia in denmark so goes the story when the people were longing for a king to their shores there drifted on a day when the white birds were screaming over the sea tangle and wreckage that a stormy sea now sinking to rest was sweeping up on the shore a little boat in which on a sheaf of ripe wheat and surrounded by priceless weapons and jewels there lay a most beautiful babe who smiled in his sleep that he was the son of odin they had no doubt and they made him their king and served him faithfully and loyally for the rest of his life a worthy and a noble king was king skald skeffing a ruler on land and on the sea of which even as an infant he had had no fear but when many years had come and gone and when skald skeffing felt that death drew near he called his nobles to him and told them in what manner he fain would pass so they did as he said and in a ship they built a funeral pyre and round it placed much gold and jewels and on it laid a sheaf of wheat then with great pain and labor for he was old and death's hand lay heavy upon him the king climbed into the ship and stretched out his limbs on the pyre 
and said farewell to all his faithful people and the ship drifted out with the tide and the hearts of the watchers were heavy as they saw the sails of the vessel that bore him vanish into the grey and knew that their king had gone back to the place from whence he came and that they should look on his face no more behind him skyld left descendants and one after the other reigned over denmark it was in the reign of his great-grandson hrothgar that there took place those things that are told in the story of beowulf a mighty king and warrior was hrothgar and far across the northern seas his fame spread wide so that all the warriors of the land that he ruled were proud to serve under him in peace and in war to die for him during his long life he and his men never went forth in their black proud ships without returning with the joyous shouts of the victor with for cargo the rich spoil they had won from their enemies as he grew old hrothgar determined to raise for himself a mighty monument to the magnificence of his reign and so there was builded for him a vast hall with majestic towers and lofty pinnacles the finest banqueting hall that his skilled artificers could dream of and when at length the hall was completed hrothgar gave a feast to all his thanes and for days and for nights on end the great rafters of heorot as his palace was named echoed the shouts and laughter of the mighty warriors and the music of the minstrels and the songs that they sang a proud man was hrothgar on the night that the banquet was ended amidst the acclamations of his people and a proud and happy man he lay down to rest while his bodyguard of mighty warriors stretched themselves on the rush-strewn floor of the great room where they had feasted and deeply slumbered there now in the dark fens of that land there dwelt a monster fierce noisome and cruel a thing that loved evil and hated all that was joyous and good to its ears came the ring of the laughter and the shouts of king hrothgar's revellers and the sweet song of the gleeman and the melody of harps filled it with fierce hatred from its wallow in the marshes where the pestilent grey fog hung round its dwelling the monster known to all men as the grendel came forth to kill and to devour through the dark night across the lonely moorland it made its way and the birds of the moor flew screaming in terror before it and the wild creatures of the desolate country over which it padded clapped down in their coverts and trembled as it passed it came at length to the great hall where a fair troop of warrior thanes guarding it found he heedlessly sleeping they recked not of sorrow never a thought did they give to the grendel a haunter of marshes a holder of moors secret the land he inhabits dark wolf-haunted ways of the windy hillside by the treacherous tarn or where covered up in its mist the hill stream downward flows soundly slept hrothgar nor opened eye until in the bright light of the morning he was roused by terrified servants forgetful of his august royalty impelled by terror crying aloud their terrible tale they had come they said to lay on the floor of the banqueting hall sweet fresh rushes from the meadows 
and to clear away all trace of the feasting overnight but the two and thirty knights who in full armour had lain down to sleep were all gone and on the floor was the spoor of something foul and noisome and on the walls and on the trampled rushes were great and terrible smears of human blood they tracked the grendel back to the marsh from whence he had come and shuddered at the sight of bestial footprints that left bloodstains behind terrible indeed was the grief of hrothgar but still more terrible was his anger he offered a royal reward to any man who would slay the grendel and full gladly ten of his warriors pledged themselves to sleep that night in the great hall and to slay the grendel ere morning came but dawn showed once more a piteous sight again there were only trampled and blood-stained rushes with the loathsome smell of unclean flesh again the foul tracks of the monster were found where it had padded softly back to its noisome fins there were many brave men in the kingdom of hrothgar the dane and yet again did they strive to maintain the dignity of the great hall heorot and to uphold the honour of their king but through twelve dismal years the grendel took its toll of the bravest in the realm and to sleep in the place that hrothgar had built as monument to his magnificent supremacy ever meant for the sleeper shameful death well content was the grendel that grew fat and lusty amongst the grey mists of the black marshes unknowing that in the land of the goths there was growing to manhood one whose feet already should be echoing along that path from which death was to come in the realm of the goths Hygelac was king and no greater hero lived in his kingdom than beowulf his own sister's son from the age of seven beowulf was brought up at the court of his uncle a great fair blue-eyed lad was beowulf lazy and very slow to wrath when he had at last become a yellow-haired giant of wondrous good temper and leisurely in movement the other young warriors of gothland had mocked at him as at one who was only a very huge very amiable child but like others of the same descent beowulf's anger if slow to kindle was a terrible fire once it began to flame a few of those flare-ups had shown the folk of his uncle's kingdom that no mean nor evil deed might lightly be done nor evil word spoken in the presence of beowulf in battle against the swedes no sword had hewn down more men than the sword of beowulf and when the champion swimmer of the land of the goths challenged the young giant beowulf to swim a match with him for five whole days they swam together a tempest driving down from the twilight land of the ice and snow parted them then and he who had been champion was driven ashore and thankfully struggled on to the beach of his own dear country once again but the foaming seas cast beowulf on some jagged cliffs and would fain have battered his body into broken fragments against them and as he fought and struggled to resist their raging cruelty mermaids and nixies and many monsters of the deep joined forces with the waves and strove to wrest his life from him and while with one hand he held on to a sharp rock with the other he dealt with his sword stark blows on those children of the deep who would fain have devoured him their bodies 
deep-gashed and dead, floated down to the coast of Gothland, and the king and all those who looked for the corpse of Beowulf saw them amazed. Then at length came Beowulf himself, and with great gladness was he welcomed, and the king, his uncle, gave him his treasured sword, Negling, in token of his valour. In the court of Hrothgar, the number of brave warriors ever grew smaller. One man only had witnessed the terrible slaughter of one of those black knights, and yet had kept his life. He was a bard, a scald, and from the land where he had seen such grim horror he fled to the land of the Goths, and there, in the court of the king, he sang the gloomy tale of the never-ending slaughter of noble warriors by the foul Grendel of the Fens and Moors. Beowulf listened, enthralled to his song. But those who knew him saw his eyes gleam as the good steel blade of a sword gleams when it is drawn for battle. And when he asked his uncle to allow him to go to the land of the Danes and slay this filthy thing, his uncle smiled with no surprise and was very well content. So it came to pass that Beowulf in his black proud ship with fourteen trusty followers set sail from Gothland for the kingdom of Hrothgar. The warden of the Danish coast was riding his rounds one morning when he beheld from the white cliffs a strange war-vessel making for the shore. Skillfully the men on board her ran her through the surf and beached her in a little creek between the cliffs and made her fast to a rock by stout cables. Only for a little time the valiant warden watched them from afar, and then, one man against fifteen, he rode quickly down and challenged the warriors. What are ye warlike men wielding bright weapons, wearing grey corslets and boar-adorned helmets, who o'er the water-paths come with your foaming keel ploughing the ocean's surge? I was appointed warden of Denmark's shores. Watch, hold I by the wave, that on this Danish coast no deadly enemy leading troops over sea should land to injure. None have here landed yet more frankly coming than this fair company. And yet ye answer not the password of warriors and customs of kinsmen. Ne'er have mine eyes beheld a mightier warrior an earl more lordly than is he the chief of you. He is no common man. If looks belie him not, he is a hero bold, worthily weaponed. Anon must I know of your kindred and country, lest ye of spies should go free on our Danish soil. Now ye men from afar sailing the surging sea have heard my earnest thought. Best is a quick reply that I may swiftly know whence ye have hither come. Then Beowulf, with fearless eyes, gazed in the face of the warden, and told him simply and unboastfully who he was, from whence he came, and what was his errand. He had come as the nation's deliverer, to slay the thing that cometh in dark of night, sateth his secret hate, worketh through fearsome awe, slaughter and shame. With joy the warden heard his noble words. My men shall beach your ship, he said, and make her fast with a barrier of oars against the greedy tide. Come with me to the king. 
it was a gallant band that strode into heorot where sat the old king gloom overshadowing his soul and fit leader for a band of heroes was beowulf a giant figure in ring-mail spear and shield gleaming in his hand and by his side the mighty sword Nageling. to hrothgar as to the warden beowulf told the reason of his coming and hope began again to live in the heart of the king that night the warriors from the land of the goths were feasted in the great banqueting hall where for twelve unhappy years voices had never rung out so bravely and so merrily the queen herself poured out the mead with which the king and the men from gothland pledged each other and with her own hand she passed the goblet to each one when last of all it came to the guest of honour beowulf took the cup of mead from the fair queen and solemnly pledged himself to save the land from the evil thing that devoured it like a pestilence or to die in his endeavour needs must i now perform knightly deeds in this hall or here must meet my doom in darksome night when darkness fell the feast came to an end and all left the hall save beowulf and his fourteen followers in their armour with swords girt on their sides the fourteen heroes lay down to rest but beowulf laid aside all his arms and gave his sword to a thane to bear away for said he i have heard that that foul miscreant's dark and stubborn flesh wrecks not the force of arms hand to hand beowulf will grapple with the mighty foe from his fastnesses in the fens the grendel had heard the shouts of revelry and as the goths closed their eyes to sleep knowing they might open them again only to grapple with hideous death yet unafraid because of their sure belief that what is to be goes ever as it must the monster roused himself through the dank chill clinging mists he came and his breath made the poisonous miasma of the marshes more deadly as he padded over the shivering reeds and trembling rushes across the bleak moorland and the high cliffs where the fresh tang of the grey sea was defiled by the hideous stench of a foul beast of prey there was fresh food for him to-night he knew some blood more potent than any that for twelve years had come his bestial way and he hastened on with greedy eagerness nightmare incarnate he found the great door of the banqueting hall bolted and barred but one angry wrench set at naught the little precautionary measures of mere men the dawn was breaking dim and grey and very chill when beowulf heard the stealthy tread without and the quick following crash of the bolts and bars that gave so readily he made no movement but only waited in an instant the dawn was blotted out by a vast black shadow and swifter than any great bear could strike a scaly hand had struck one of the friends of beowulf in an instant the man was torn from limb to limb and in a wild disgust and hatred beowulf heard the lapping of blood the scrunching of bones and chewing of warm flesh as the monster ravenously devoured him again the loathsome hand was stretched out to seize and to devour but in the darkness two hands like hands of iron 
gripped the outstretched arm, and the Grendel knew that he had met his match at last. The warriors of Beowulf awoke to find a struggle going on, such as their eyes never before beheld, for it was a fight to the death between man and monster. Vainly they tried to aid their leader, but their weapons only glanced harmlessly off the Grendel's scaly hide. Up and down the hall the combatants wrestled until the walls shook and the great building itself rocked to its foundations. Ever and again it seemed as though no human power could prevail against teeth and claws and demonic fury, and as tables and benches crashed to the ground and broke under the tramping feet of the Grendel, it appeared an impossible thing that Beowulf should overcome. Yet ever tighter and more tight grew the iron grip of Beowulf. His fingers seemed turned to iron. His hatred and loathing made his grasp crash through scales into flesh and crush the marrow out of the bone it found there. And when, at length, the Grendel could no more, and with a terrible cry wrenched himself free and fled wailing back to the Finland, still in his grasp Beowulf held the limb. The Grendel had freed himself by tearing the whole arm out of its socket, and for once the trail of blood across the moors was that of the monster and not of its victims. Great indeed was the rejoicing of Hrothgar and of his people when, in the morning, instead of crimson-stained rushes and the track of vermin claws imbrued in human blood, they found all but one of the men from Gothland alive, and looked upon the hideous trophy that told them that their enemy could only have gone to find a shameful death in the marshes. They cleansed out the great hall, hung it with lordly trappings, and made it once more fit habitation for the lordliest in the land. That night a feast was held in it, such as had never before been held all through the magnificent reign of Hrothgar. The best of the skalds sung songs in honour of the triumph of Beowulf, and the queen herself pledged the hero in a cup of mead and gave to him the beautiful, most richly jewelled collar, Brissingamen, of exquisite ancient workmanship that once was owned by Freya, queen of the gods, and a great ring of the purest red gold. To Beowulf, too, the king gave a banner, all broidered in gold, a sword of the finest, with helmet and corslet, and eight fleet steeds. And on the back of the one that he deemed the best, Hrothgar had placed his own saddle, cunningly wrought and decked with golden ornaments. To each of the warriors of Beowulf there were also given rich gifts. And ere the queen with her maidens left the hall that night, she said to Beowulf, Enjoy thy reward, O dear Beowulf, while enjoy it thou canst. Live noble and blessed, keep well thy great fame, and to my dear sons in time to come, should ever they be in need, be a kind protector. With happy hearts and very weary bodies, Beowulf and his men left the hall when the feast was ended, and they slept through the night in another lodging, as those sleep who have faced death through a very long night, and to whom joy has come in the morning. But the Danish knights, careless in the knowledge that the Grendel must even now be in his dying agonies, and that 
once more heorot was for them a safe and noble sleeping place lay themselves down to sleep in the hall their shields at their heads and fastened high up on the roof above them the hideous trophy of beowulf next morning as the grey dawn broke over the northern sea it saw a sight that made it more chill than death across the moorland went a thing half wolf half woman the mother of grendel the creature she had borne had come home to die and to her belonged his avenging softly she went to heorot softly she opened the unguarded door gladly in her savage jaws she seized ashir the thane who was to hrothgar most dear and from the roof she plucked her desired treasure the arm of grendel her son then she trotted off to her far-off filthy den leaving behind her the noise of lamentation terrible was the grief of hrothgar over the death of ashir dearest of friends and sharer of his counsels and to his lamentations beowulf listened sad at heart humble yet with a heart that burned for vengeance the hideous creature of the night was the mother of grendel as all knew well on her beowulf would be avenged for ashir's sake for the king's and for the sake of his own honour then once again did he pledge himself to do all that man's strength could do to rid the land of an evil thing well did he know how dangerous was the task before him and he gave directions for the disposal of all that he valued should he never return from his quest to the king who feared greatly that he was going forth on a forlorn hope he said grieve not each man must undergo death at the end of life let him win while he may warlike fame in the world that is best after death for the slain warrior his own men and hrothgar and a great company of danes went with him when he set out to trace the blood-stained tracks of the grendel's mother near the edge of a gloomy mere they found the head of a shear and when they looked at the fjord itself it seemed to be blood-stained stained with blood that ever welled upwards and in which revelled with a fierce sort of joy the rapture of bestial cruelty water monsters without number beowulf his face white and grim like that of an image of thor cast in silver watched a little while then drew his bow and drove a bolt into the heart of one of them and when they had drawn the slain carcass to shore the thanes of hrothgar marvelled at the horror of it then beowulf took leave of hrothgar and told him that if in two days he did not return certain it would be that he would return no more the hearts of all who said farewell to him were heavy but beowulf laughed and bade them be of good cheer then into the black waters he dived sword in hand clad in ring armor and the dark pool closed over him as the river of death closes over the head of a man when his day is done to him it seemed as if the space of a day had passed ere he reached the bottom and in his passing he encountered many dread dangers from tusk and horn of a myriad evil creatures of the water who sought to destroy him then at length he reached the bottom of that sinister mirror and there was clasped in the murderous grip of the wolf-woman who strove to crush his life out against her loathsome breast 
again and again when her hideous embrace failed to slay him she stabbed him with her knife yet ever did he escape his good armor resisted the power of her arm and his own great muscles thrust her from him yet his own sword failed him when he would have smitten her and the hero would have been in evil case had he not spied hanging on the wall of that most foul den a glorious sword an old brand gigantic trusty in point and edge an heirloom of heroes swiftly he seized it and with it he dealt the wolf-woman a blow that shore her head from her body through the foul blood that flowed from her and that mingled with the black water of the mere beowulf saw a very terrible horror the body of the grendel lying moaning out of the last of his life again his strong arm descended and his left hand gripping the coiled locks of the evil thing he sprang upwards through the water that lost its blackness and its clouded crimson as he went ever higher and more high in his hand he still bore the sword that had saved him but the poisonous blood of the dying monsters had made the water of such fiery heat that the blade melted as he rose and only the hilt with strange runes engraved upon it remained in his hand where he left them his followers and the danes who went with them remained watching waiting ever growing more hopeless as night turned into day and day faded into night and they saw the black waters of the lonely fen bubbling up terrible and blood-stained but when the waters cleared hope returned to their hearts and when at length beowulf uprose from the water of the mere and they saw that in his hand he bore the head of the grendel there was no lonely scour nor cliff nor rock of the land of the danes that did not echo the glad cry of beowulf beowulf well nigh overwhelmed by gifts from those whom he had preserved was the hero beowulf but in modest wise words he spoke to the king well hast thou treated us if on this earth i can do more to win thy love o prince of warriors than i have wrought as yet here stand i ready now weapons to wield for thee if i shall ever hear o'er the encircling flood that any neighbouring foes threaten thy nation's fall as grendel grim before swift will i bring to thee thousands of noble thanes heroes to help thee then in their ship that the warden of the coast once had challenged beowulf and his warriors set sail for their own dear land gaily the vessel danced over the waves heavy though it was with treasure nobly gained and when beowulf had come in safety to his homeland and had told his kinsmen the tale of the slaying of the grendel and of the wolf-woman he gave the finest of his steeds to the king and to the queen the jewelled collar brisingamen that the queen of the goths had bestowed on him and the heart of his uncle was glad and proud indeed and there was much royal banqueting in the hero's honour of him too the skalds made up songs and there was no hero in all that northern land whose fame was as great as was the fame of beowulf the must be often helps an undoomed man when he is brave was the precept on which he ruled his life 
and he never failed the king whose chief champion and warrior he was when in an expedition against the frieslanders king hygelac fell a victim to the cunning of his foes the sword of beowulf fought nobly for him to the end and the hero was a grievously wounded man when he brought back to gothland the body of the dead king the goths would fain have made him their king in hygelac's stead but beowulf was too loyal a soul to supplant his uncle's own son on his shield he laid the infant prince hardred and held him up for the people to see and when he had proclaimed the child king and vowed to serve him faithfully all the days of his life there was no man there who did not loyally echo the promise of their hero beowulf when hardred a grown man was treacherously slain by a son of Othar, he who discovered the north cape beowulf once again was chosen king and for forty years he reigned wisely and well the fame of his arms kept war away from the land and his wisdom as a statesman brought great prosperity and happiness to his people he had never known fear and so for him there was nothing to dread when the weakness of age fell upon him and when he knew that his remaining years could be but few seeing that death a necessary end will come when it will come through all those years of peace the thing that was to bring death to him had lurked unknown unimagined in a cave in the lonely mountains many centuries before the birth of beowulf a family of mighty warriors had won by their swords a priceless treasure of weapons and of armor of richly chased goblets and cups of magnificent ornaments and precious jewels and of gold beyond the dreams of avarice in a great cave among the rocks it was hoarded by the last of their line and on his death none knew where it was hidden upon it one day there stumbled a fiery dragon a fire-drake and for three hundred years the monster gloated unchallenged over the magnificent possession but at the end of that time a bondsman who fled before his master's vengeance and sought sanctuary in the mountains came on an opening in the rocks and creeping in found the fire-drake asleep upon a mass of red gold and of sparkling gems that dazzled his eyes even in the darkness for a moment he stood trembling then sure of his master's forgiveness if he brought him as gift a golden cup all studded with jewels he seized one and fled with it ere the monster could awake with its awakening terror fell upon the land hither and thither it flew searching for him who had robbed it and as it flew it sent flames on the earth and left behind it a black trail of ruin and of death when news of its destroyings came to the ears of the father of his people beowulf knew that to him belonged the task of saving the land for them and for all those to come after them but he was an old man and strength had gone from him nor was he able now to wrestle with the fire drake as once he had wrestled with the grendel and the wolf woman but had to trust to his arms he had an iron shield made to withstand the fire drake's flaming breath and with a band of eleven picked followers and taking the bondsman as guide beowulf went out to fight his last fight as they drew near the place 
he bade his followers stay where they were for i alone he said will win the gold and save my people or death shall take me from the entrance to the cave there poured forth a sickening cloud of steam and smoke suffocating and blinding and so hot that he could not go forward but with a loud voice the old warrior shouted an arrogant challenge of defiance to his enemy and the fire drake rushed forth from its lair roaring with the roar of an unquenchable fire whose fury will destroy a city from its wings of flame and from its eyes heat poured forth scorchingly and its great mouth belched forth devouring flames as it cast itself on beowulf the hero's sword flashed and smote a stark blow upon its scaly head but beowulf could not deal death strokes as once he had done and only for a moment was his adversary stunned in hideous rage the monster coiled its snaky folds around him and the heat from his body made the iron shield redden as though the blacksmith and his smithy were welding it and each ring of the armor that beowulf wore seared right into his flesh his breast swelled with the agony and his great heart must have come near bursting for pain and for sorrow for he saw that panic had come on his followers and that they were fleeing leaving him to his fate yet not all of them were faithless wiglaf young and daring a dear kinsman of beowulf from whom he had received many a kindness calling shame on the dastards who fled rushed forward sword in hand and with no protection but that of his shield of linden wood like a leaf scorched in a furnace the shield curled up but new strength came to beowulf with the knowledge that wiglaf had not failed him in his need together the two heroes made a gallant stand although blood flowed in a swift red stream from a wound that the monster had made in beowulf's neck with its venomous fangs and ran down his corslet a stroke which left the fire drake unharmed shivered the sword that had seen many fights but wiglaf smote a shrewd blow ere his lord could be destroyed and beowulf swiftly drew his broad knife and with an effort so great that all the life that was left in him seemed to go with it he shore the fire drake asunder then beowulf knew that his end drew very near and when he had thanked wiglaf for his loyal help he bade him enter the cave and bring forth the treasure that he might please his dying eyes by looking on the riches that he had won for his people and wiglaf hastened into the cave for he knew that he raced with death and brought forth armfuls of weapons of magnificent ornaments of goblets and of cups of bars of red gold handfuls of sparkling jewels too he brought and each time he came and went seizing without choosing whatever lay nearest it seemed as though the fire drake's hoard were endless a magical golden standard and armor and swords that the dwarfs had made brought a smile of joy into the dying king's eyes and when the ten shamed warriors seeing that the fight was at an end came to where their mighty ruler lay they found him lying near the vile carcass of the monster he had slain and surrounded by a dazzlement of treasure uncountable to them and to wiglaf beowulf spoke his valediction urging on them to maintain the honor of the land of the goths and then he said i thank god eternal 
the great king of glory for the vast treasures which i here gaze upon that i ere my death-day might for my people win so great wealth since i have given my life thou must now look to the needs of the nation here dwell i no longer for destiny calleth me bid thou my warriors after my funeral pyre build me a burial cairn high on the sea-cliff's head it shall for memory tower up to ronusness so that the seafarer's beowulf's barrow henceforth shall name it they who drive far and wide over the mighty flood their foaming reels thou art the last of all the kindred of wagmund Vired has swept all my kin all the brave chiefs away now must i follow them such was the passing of beowulf greatest of northern heroes and under a mighty barrow on a cliff very high above the sea they buried him and with him a great fortune from the treasure he had won then with heavy hearts round about the mound rode his hearth-sharers who sang that he was of kings of men the mildest kindest to his people sweetest and the readiest in search of praise gentlest most gracious most keen to win glory and if in time the great deeds of a mighty king of the goths have become more like fairy-tale than solid history this at least we know that whether it is in zealand or on the yorkshire coast where high on the sea-cliff ledges the white gulls are trooping and crying the barrow of beowulf covers a very valiant hero a very perfect gentleman end of beowulf recording by james k white Chula Vista.